the two SoCal gals. It's been an exciting week of soccer. I'm Alicia. Josie, are the MLS playoffs broken? I'm Josie, and sure, every team to host a second leg lost, but, well, um, hmm. hmm. Yeah, maybe they're broken. This is Two SoCal Gals, the podcast where we talk anything and everything soccer with a SoCal slant. We're going to start uh, this afternoon in New York. Um, of course, our thoughts go out to anyone still dealing with the effects of Superstorm Sandy and then the blizzard afterward. Like, you stay safe, you guys. Um, but yesterday, they decided to play a soccer game between the Red Bulls and DC United. They postponed the match for a day because of the snowstorm after swapping the home and away legs. Uh, were the right decisions made? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so as far as the, you know, sw- swapping the, the legs and then postponing the game. I mean, I, I certainly understand from DC's perspective, you know, being uh, kind of upset at first being asked to essentially take away their home field advantage. Um, and then, uh, secondly, to have to wait a day to, to play the game. And, of course, D.C. brought, uh, you know, seven, eight, something like that, busloads of, of people up uh, to the game. Kind of surprised that uh, they didn't just stay in a hotel overnight for the ones that were going to stick around anyway, but apparently they all drove back, and then went, some of them came back the following day. Um, you know, so I can understand the frustration on the part of, of uh, D.C. fans and, and D.C. folks, but... Uh, I mean, you know, I was covering the game uh, the other night, and, you know, at first, somebody who who grew up in a frigid climate that saw a lot of snow, and I was kind of like, yeah, this will be fun, it'll be cool. Um, But the more I saw that they were completely incapable of actually clearing the field, and, you know, the more the snow kept falling and falling, and um, it just didn't seem like there was going to be a workable way around it, the more it made sense to, you know, not force the players to go out there, play an ugly game, potentially have somebody really, you know, snap a hamstring or, or something really serious um, under, frankly, pretty dangerous conditions and, and ones that, you know, aren't really that common in, in uh, American soccer. So as far as that goes, I think it was, it, you know, it was also the right decision, although certainly I think the league could have handled it a little bit better. But uh, what's your take on it? You know, they made all the right moves. They brought out the yellow ball and, you know, they were having the players warming up and you were kind of like, okay, they're going to they're gonna get this thing through. And, yeah, like you said, just those images of players kicking, you know, like three-inch high little piles of snow and stuff, you just, it's, it's, it would have so adversely affected things that it just wouldn't have even been fair to either club. Um, but then as far as the game itself is concerned, uh, we've got a 1-0 result in favor of D.C. United. Uh, what did you think of, of the match itself? Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why I think D.C. comes away, you know, not really being upset about all the, you know, the concessions they made, so to speak, and in, in leading up to the, the second leg because they ended up winning. But, uh, I mean, the first 70 minutes of the game were really – very bland and um the pace was fast but it just it wasn't going anywhere you know it really still looked pretty sloppy um and then the last 20 minutes were just bonkers i mean just absolutely bonkers and uh, it was such a crazy finish with you know bill Hamid getting sent off and like 
basically having a conniption fit on the field and, um, you know, Penny, Kenny Cooper having to take the penalty twice, second time getting saved by the backup keeper. Uh, so let's stick with the penalty kick for a second. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the first attempt goes in, but you've got Thierry Henry uh, almost breaking the plane of vision of the referee. Uh, do you think the right call was made there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's really hard in real time because everybody's typically watching, you know, the the person taking the penalty. And the fact that Cooper stuttered so much on the run-up, it was sort of like, oh, I guess he got called off because he stuttered too much and he didn't actually keep his momentum going forward. But as it turned out, I mean, in the replays, it was completely obvious that Henri and a couple of other players had, had totally encroached. So, it, it, I mean, it was a good call. Yeah, and I, I understand some of the arguments that, you know, it went in, and so really what effect does their being there have? But you still have to call the rules as they're written, and had had it been saved, D.C. would have had, I mean, New York would have had such an advantage uh, that you really kind of have to just do it over again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just think it's, it's also partly for distraction of the goalkeeper, right? I mean, if you're if you have to field a penalty kick coming your way and then you also have the chance of having, you know, other players basically bear down on you all at once. I mean, obviously it makes sense to have a, an encroachment rule, even if, you know, a kick goes in and it, they have play no part in, in, in the play itself. I mean, it, it totally makes sense from my perspective as far as why, why the rule is written that way. No, for sure. Yeah. And then, uh, what about Thierry Henry? We've been talking him up big time. Uh, but, uh, he he kind of seemed to float away there at the end when it got real real hairy. He did float away a little bit toward the end, and you know he had a pretty decent match. You know he created. I'm looking at four chances that he created, uh, only one shot on target, but and it was early in the match too. Um, but. I don't think it has anything to do with Thierry Henry, the person or the character, or it's just sometimes that's how things go, and DC kind of got things going when they needed to, and I think it was interesting watching, it looked like he was going to like apologize to some fans or something at the end of it. Um, I don't know if you saw that shot of him walking over to the crowd, but he seemed to kind of take it on himself, like, oh, this is my bad. He raced straight away to the stands. Like, I, it was, I mean, you know, it was sort of the heat of the moment. And I think New York, in a, in a lot of respects, was absolutely stunned by the, you know, the way that the game turned out. But it was almost like he was on the winning side and he was like, hey, what's up? It was, I don't know. It was just, it was just kind of a, a weird ending to the game. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it ended up being a classic. I mean, it was, you know, most of the two legs were pretty bland, but that last 20 minutes, wow, that, that really made up for a lot of boring soccer, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so let's uh, let's turn to the West Coast, um, where we are, and uh, talk about uh, the Goonies finally dying at the hands of the Galaxy. Um, was this a matter of the Galaxy raising their game, or San Jose failing to keep pace? Well, you, you, you can't talk about the three goals that happened without mentioning the fact that uh, Victor... Bernardes, I always get his name wrong. Uh, you know, going out with an injury before like the 
15th minute, like it was like in the 11th or 12th that he got injured, had to leave the match, and Opara comes in and the Galaxy immediately attack him. Uh, he was the one who gave Robbie Keane too much space on his first goal. Uh, he got completely uh, sucked in by London Donovan on the second goal. So, I you can the Galaxy stepped it up when they were supposed to. You know they attacked right away at a new sub, which is what you are supposed to do. But overall, had that not happened, I imagine the Galaxy would have played. Uh, little more conservative. So yes, you can say that they raised their game. Uh, and you can also say that San Jose ran out of gas. Like they tried to do their miracle comeback as they always do every single match. Uh, and they brought Alan Gordon in who scored the worst looking goal. Uh, <laughs> and Alan Gordon has scored a lot of bad looking things and <laughs> missed a lot of bad looking things. Uh, but it happened to go in. And yet, you know, my biggest question is what happened to Chris Wondolowski? You know, he scores all these goals during the regular season, and uh, the Galaxy were able to shut him down over this series. And I think that's as much of the story as anything else. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Lenhart was doing a decent job in, until uh, the Galaxy really took control of the game to, you know, to mix it up, to try and throw the Galaxy off their game, you know, to do what he does. And I think he was being pretty effective at it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, part of it is that, I mean, Chris Wondolowski has, has gotten, had to gradually get accustomed to more attention as time's gone on. But I think one of the surprises this season was that with Len Hart coming back, you know, he hardly played last year. Um, with him coming back, with Gordon coming back, and he, of course, was, you know, pretty badly hurt by the time he made it to San Jose last year. Um, with their emergence, I think that really helped Wondolowski remain that, you know, that poacher because there were always at least, there was at least one other real goal scoring threat on the field at, at all times when he was out there. But I think that because it was a playoff series, because the stakes were raised, you know, the attention really got put on him even, even more and, and that hampered his game for sure. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I think the Galaxy played about as well as, they could play um you know they they really looked good in that second leg but I agree that Bernard is also was a huge I mean a huge loss he was I think he was the best player in the first leg um really on both well of course he scored the goal but I think even before he scored the goal he was the best player for you know for either side um in the first leg and so having him come out I mean really it really made a difference that's for sure you can almost call it uh the battle between Omar Gonzalez and Bernardes, like they were the keys to both teams, and uh, for the most part, were able to keep uh, things pretty clean for most of, for you know, almost all of the first match, and then uh, the beginning of the second match, and yeah, losing Bernardes just really hurt San Jose, uh, and Omar was able. I mean, Linhard did get in his head. Uh, there was a bit of a shoving match and some elbows thrown. But he kept his head enough that you know he kept uh, San Jose from from beating the Galaxy through the middle. Um, and you know this is just a little a last fact. Uh, when I was researching for, uh, the Castrol Index that Robbie Keane uh, finished tops over Wondolowski, uh, Wondolowski scored 23% of his goals from the penalty spot. So. You know, San Jose, as rough as they play, they're also they're a team that gets a lot of fouls, 
and th there weren't as many this time around. Uh, Galaxy kind of held back from being physical right back at them. Yeah, for sure. Alright, so the Houston Dynamo have defied all the odds and made it to the conference final as a five seed. Are they still the underdog in the East? Uh, no way. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I know that for some people it, it becomes annoying when you compare, you know, sports to different sports, but to me the, the Dynamo seems like the San Antonio Spurs of, of MLS. Like, they have a good coach who's been there a long time. They have, you know, some very good players, but, you know, essentially an unheralded cast compared to some of the other elite teams in the league. And when it comes to playoff time, they raise their game. And, I mean, coming into the Chicago-Houston game, I was on the fence. I really didn't know how that game was going to turn out. But after seeing how thoroughly Houston outplayed them in that game, it was like, okay, I, I actually took the Dynamo for the, you know, for the next series against Kansas City. And, yeah, I mean, they absolutely knew how to, you know, knew how to outplay uh, Kansas City. And they, you know, they were able to um, take the lead in the home leg and then bunker. And they can bunker about as well as, as just about anybody. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think they're the favorites coming out of the East at this point. What do you think? Well, I, I think you're right. I think that they are, they're hot. And in any playoff format, in any league, being hot uh, can often trump being good. Uh, we've seen it. Uh, well, I hate to compare other sports to, but you know, the San Francisco Giants have done it twice now in the last three years. Uh, the LA Kings even kind of were one of those teams that wasn't highly seeded and yet just got hot, was burning through teams. Um, but. I've been thinking about this from another angle too. Houston now this is their fifth uh, conference final in the last seven years. You've got the Galaxy now on their fourth straight conference final. Uh, it almost seems like in MLS coaches can have such a big impact in a playoff format. Like different teams are going to come up and have supporters shields run in some really good years, but being able to get a team ready for a weekday game and then a Sunday game against the same opponent with tired legs. Like this seems to be a skill that certain coaches possess and can just win year in and year out. Yeah, I think that's a great call, and um, I mean we see that as well with with Siggy Schmidt. And I mean, although Seattle took them a while to to break through, I mean I think certainly he's in that conversation among you know best MLS coaches. Oh, and so. Absolutely. I mean, and you can't ignore the U.S. Cup runs. Like, he right. has done it there. Yeah, and so three of the four coaches uh, who are in the finals, you know, conference finals, are, are coaches who are among you know, the very best that the league has ever seen. So, yeah, I think that's, a, that's an absolutely great point. Um, all right, so then let's turn to Seattle and talk about them for a few minutes. Uh, they finally won a playoff series. Um, so, yeah, I don't think uh, the city has finished celebrating yet. Um, but are they the favorites in this series with the Galaxy? You know, I just, I really hesitate, and I mean, aside from the fact that I covered the Galaxy, but I just really hesitate to use the label favorite uh, for any of the MLS playoff series, just after we've had both number one seeds go down. Uh, seeding seems to have absolutely no effect on what happens next. Uh, but in the case of Seattle, 
you can make the argument against them that they were really outplayed for about 85 minutes against Real Salt Lake uh, and, you know, went nil-nil in the home leg, which all the first legs were awful. Let's just say that for the record. Uh, but, you know, when th they were finally pushed, they did manage to get the result that was necessary. And so, you know, more credit to them there. But combining that with their last experience at the Home Depot Center, where, again, they were just outplayed for most of the match and then ended up giving uh, away the, a goal at the end to, to lose it. You know, I, I don't think you can say Seattle are well matched. They're certainly a, a very talented team and can win, uh, but I don't think either team is really the favorite here. I mean, it thinks Galaxy have been a little bit hotter. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if we're talking about sort of experiential levels, if we're talking about, um, yeah, sort of the play in the last match that we saw between the two teams, yeah, I, I would agree that the Galaxy look like they're they're in a little bit better form. I think overall, I think this is a hard series to call, though. I, I think you're right that they're, you know, having a favorite per se is, is really hard to say. I mean, I think chances are pretty likely that this will, this series could come down to a single goal, um, I think it, there's a better chance that the if the Galaxy that the Galaxy could blow out the series, sort of like they did it, you know, eventually against San Jose. I think there's a very it's very unlikely that Seattle could blow out the series and you know win win overall by by two or three or four goals. Um, but I think that certainly Seattle have a good chance of um, you know taking the series by a single goal again, like they did against RSL. And I think I think that series was really the toughest series of all. Um, you know, those teams were the most evenly matched, and I don't think you could say that, uh, you know, Seattle thoroughly outplayed RSL. I don't think you could say that RSL thoroughly outplayed Seattle. I think it was really a, a, a good battle, and among the scoreless games, I think that was sort of the, the, the quality of play was the highest um, in my mind overall. I'd agree. I'd agree. Well, there's just so much to talk about this week that we're just going to keep going. Um, <laughs> the the top seed in each conference has been knocked out. No team that hosted the second leg of a conference semifinal made it through. Uh, we've got a new format this year. Uh, should we call this a drawback of the new format, or is this a, a, a good thing that we're seeing? And uh, the conference finals are going to be two-legged for the first time ever. What are we expecting those matches to look like? Well, on the sort of philosophical approach of what you know, whether or not the the top seeds should be knocked out in the first opportunities and playoffs or not, I'm on. The, I'm of the opinion that look, the playoffs are what what they are, right? Like. Part of the reason we have playoffs is so that there's the chance for lower seeds to upset higher seeds, right? If higher seeds always advance, there would be no point in playing, having a playoffs, right? And for me, coming from an American sports background, um, you know, it's I know that there are ideas, and you know, particularly in baseball, where you know, when a lower seed upsets a higher seed, or the lowest seed ends up, ends up winning the World Series, you know, the purists sort of say oh, this is so horrible, and, you know, this is not how it should be done, and blah, blah, blah. And certainly I've heard a lot of that with uh, MLS fans in the last few days. But for me, this is this is what it is. I mean, this is what the playoffs are. I, I love to see it. 
I don't want to see it every year necessarily, but I, I also don't want to just see, you know, chalk the whole way through and, and see the top, you know, the one seed against the one seed every single year, you know, and, and, and never have any deviation or excitement or that sort of thing. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a good thing. Keep it coming. What about you? I absolutely agree. I, I feel like when we get in these discussions of, oh, the playoffs should just let the first seed go straight through to the final and, you know, make everyone else fight it out and stuff like that, you know, trying to give the first seed as much as advantage as possible, uh, then why even have playoffs? You know, just why not just have the two top seeds playing the MLS Cup and get it over with? Like, why would you structure something to make it so difficult for any kind of an upset? You know, upsets are what playoffs are about. And, you know, you compare it, people look overseas, and they're like, oh, well, in Europe, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but in Europe, finishing fourth actually means something <laughs> where it doesn't in, in, in MLS. Uh, you know, and all those discussions, they never look at Mexico, who already had this moment many decades ago, and they have somehow survived and still been a soccer-loving nation. And it didn't hurt their love of soccer that they added playoffs and a clausura and... Uh, anyway... Um, so I'm totally on board with the way the playoffs have shook out, uh, and I've been following MLS to remember how the playoffs used to be, and let me tell you that a double leg series is certainly better than a best of three, which it used to be, which is awful and a terrible idea for soccer. Um, so I'm not even that worried about a double leg conference final, I think it will We'll probably see with no away goals, probably some boring first legs, uh, but things will 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 pick up on the second half, and you know, there's everything to play for. Uh, none of these teams, I don't, don't yeah, because Seattle lost the Open Cup. None of these teams have Champions League spots locked up already. You know, MLS Cup is a great prize. It's, I think there's going to be a, some pretty good some pretty good soccer played. What do you think? Yeah, I mean. I I agree that there's probably a good chance that the first legs are going to be pretty dull or at least uh, conservative, um, you know, and that that's part of the the nature of it being a two-legged series. But yeah, I mean, if it's if it ends up being in the cause of there being a thrilling second leg, then fine by me. I, I I'm fine with that. But uh, yeah, I mean. I think there's a solid chance that at least one of these series will go to uh, penalties, but uh, we didn't see it in the first one. So, um, you know, I, I guess we could get into a whole different conversation about penalties. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's a solid chance that it could really get tight in, in one of these series because neither, neither team's going to want to take the risk of uh, exposing themselves in the back as, as they move forward on an attack, and, and they'll just sort of kick it around the midfield for 180 minutes, but hopefully we don't see that. Well, especially in the first legs, like you're going to be so, so much concerned about keeping your defense's legs fresh uh, for the next leg. And, you know, the Galaxy in Seattle have had the allocation money to kind of get some some talent to, to sub in if legs get tired. But, you know, I know both teams, at least in the Western Conference, and in the East, they're going to want to keep most of their starters fresh for the second leg because it's going to be where all the important stuff happens and that's going to mean a lot of passing in the middle of the field with no real 
goal or ambition. But um, we're going to keep chugging through some more headlines um, and we're going to move on over to Europe. And they had a Champions League a couple match days on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, all three teams from the land of the people, Germany, uh, are in first place. And the land of the setting sun, Spain, has four teams looking good to go through to the next round. Which country is having a better tournament, Germany or Spain? I would say Spain. I think Germany's having a great tournament. You know, the German teams are having a great tournament so far. But I would say Spain because... Valencia is doing pretty well in addition to Real Madrid and, and uh, Barcelona. Valencia is doing pretty well. Valencia has been a good team that's gone through some you know tougher times, but they've still been in that firmly in that second tier, um, you know, in, in the last several years. The big surprise is Malaga, and I mean they made the Champions League for the first time this year. A lot of times teams, you know, struggle in, in that first year that they're in the Champions League. And Malaga seemed like they might be the kind of team that would come into the Champions League for one year, not do so hot, then kind of, you know, fall back to earth as far as their position in the domestic table. But as it's turned out, uh, they're through to the next round. And, I mean, I, I think the fact that it looks like all four teams are, you know, are in good shape to advance at this point from Spain, for me, makes it look like it's going to be Spain. I mean, you, you raised some good points, and certainly Spain right now is refuting that whole uh, it's a two-team league notion. They are currently showing that they fully deserve the title of, of best league in, in Europe. Uh, but the Bundesliga is still the most popular league, uh, popular league, and you know they do have all three of their clubs uh, in first place looking to to keep that uh, going forward and they're all in in fairly difficult groups you know Shalaki are in with Arsenal and Olympic Chaos and yet doing quite well through all of that even though th there are two draws but they've held held their own in what is a pretty difficult group and then you can't ignore the fact that Borussia Dortmund uh, is currently in first over Real Madrid uh, and they also, you know, they've got City and Ajax, and we'll talk more about this group in a little bit. But you know, they've got—they're leading the group of death. You—you you can't underestimate just how significant that is. And Bayern Munich, you know, had a bit of a slow start with the, there was a loss in there, but you know, they've—they've—they've they've shown improvement, and they're right back in the thick of it. And I think there's—that's really cool. Um, and I'm going to have to go with Germany having the, the better tournament on this one. Well, I guess uh, time will tell which one of us is, is more correct. Uh, no, for sure. Um, all right, so the champions of England, Manchester City, were able to manage a draw against Ajax this week. Was it enough to keep them from an embarrassing exit? No, uh, <laughs> it wasn't. That uh, They're done, and it's... You know, it's it's a bit embarrassing. You know, you've got uh, Manchester United, and they are through and on on 12 points, and looking way better than than City has looked in Europe. Uh, you know, looking at at the match report uh, against Ajax, you know, it was kind of an 
up and down kind of match with Ajax's uh, two goals coming sort of against the run of play. Um, but you know, City's defense was was part of their their calling card last year, and they got a lot of one nil victories. And now they're going over in Europe, and they're just you know getting scored upon. You know, they've got a goal differential of negative three right now, and there's only two matches left. Uh, I believe one is yeah, one is at Borussia Dortmund, and then they host Real Madrid. So. You know, I, I, they're they're done. They're absolutely done, and that's the champion of England. You know, this team that spent so much money on all these players, and they're just out of it. Yeah, I, I think they're done too. But I will say, I mean, in the short term, and coming in with the expectations that Man City had that this could be their year, they could really take the next step up in the Champions League. I mean, they they really were unfortunate in the draw that they got. Um, and, you know, for example, if they had been in, in uh, Group A, I think they probably would have been in the top two spots, no problem. I think in most of the groups, they pro- you know, they probably would have been in, in good shape. And I realize that, you know, that, that kind of smacks of excuse-making, but I, I think history is not going to be kind to their campaign this year because it's just going to be like, oh, look at how, how poorly they played against these teams. But I think that they you know, there is bound to be two teams that are going to fail in that group, right? It, it just has to happen. And, um, you know, I think I think I said coming in that it, it seemed like it was going to be between Manchester City and, and Dortmund as far as who is going to join Real Madrid in the group. And so far that's, you know, that's, you know, that's come to fruition and, and it's Dortmund who made the step up instead of, instead of Manchester City. So, um, you know, I, I know that nuance is not really the thing when it comes to English soccer, but... Uh, I think there needs to be a little bit of that taken into account here. Well, that's that's a good point, um, and that's also just part of the way the Champions League is set up. Like until Man City get European results, they're going to be drawn in groups like this as long as they keep qualifying. Uh, you you need to have success in Europe, and then they will say, okay, you're a good team, and we'll we'll put you in a, in a better group. So it's sort of a lose-lose situation like they have to advance through one of these groups before they can not be in these groups anymore right. and uh, it's not happening this year but you know if they keep things uh, up uh, domestically they'll have another chance in the next cycle uh, but we're going to have to move on to uh, another pretty shocking result uh, Celtic were able to get a 2-1 victory over Barcelona um, is this as stunning as people are making it out to be, or was it coming? I think it was a stunner. I mean, you know, I'm of the belief that obviously there's no invincible team. You know, even a team like Barcelona has a bad day, and, you know, they're they're liable to lose at times. I mean, that's not anything that's, you know, mind-blowing. But I think given the stature of Barcelona and given the reputation of Scottish soccer... Um, you know, given the whole, uh, you know, inside joke of, you know, could could uh, Barcelona do it on a cold night and Tuesday in Stoke? You know, I mean, Celtic is sort of the closest equivalent of Stoke, you know, in the Champions League this year. And it seems like on this night, no, they could not get it done. Um, and, you know, full credit to Celtic for putting it together, for having a, a, a great match and, doing what they needed to do to get wins. I mean, they did it on both ends on, you know, getting two goals. Um, 
which they absolutely needed, getting a great performance out of their goalkeeper and their defense, um, and only letting in a single goal. Uh, it, but, I mean, it, it's a stunner. I, I, I think not too many people really picked, a, you know, especially people who are not Celtic fans, picked Celtic to, to win this one. Uh, I absolutely agree. Um, I'm looking at the uh, attacking momentum chart from the match, and it's all Barcelona, except for the two times when Celtic scored. But other than that, uh, Celtic were were defending, and that's pretty much how I how I remember it. Um, you know, Barcelona finally was able to get that last uh, goal there at the end, but you know, Celtic were able to just play good defensive soccer, get their counters, and, you know, pull off a pretty stunning upset, which has them in second place in their group. Like, they are in a pretty decent spot to go forward. Uh, they still got, they have a home match against Spartak Moscow, which, you know, I'm sure the Moscovites are uh, accustomed to the cold, but that's some some good home field advantage there. Uh, and even going to Benfica, um, and they they have a pretty good chance to move on in the tournament, which is you know the Celtic of of old. You know we haven't seen that Celtic in a while, so it's it was cool to see them get that result, even if it was pretty shocking. Yeah, I I totally agree. All right, uh, so Porto. Uh, Malaga and Manchester United have all clinched uh, advancement from their groups. Uh, do you think there is a contender for the title among them? So my worry about Manchester United, and all credit to them for uh, winning all their matches so far and the goal differential that they have, uh, but they're in a fairly weak group. Um, you know, they've got... Well, they they don't have a team from any of the so considered top leagues, uh, so they were supposed to have 12 points at this point, and they were supposed to have a a pretty positive goal differential. And when they have to start mixing it up with Barcelona, with Real Madrid, with Bayern Munich, I I don't know if what they've gone through is preparing them for that level. Uh, of play and then you know, you also have to look at the other two clubs um, I, I think Malaga has, has shown some pretty good stuff um, and if I had to choose out of the three I'm kind of have to throw my weight in behind them what do you think? Yeah I mean Malaga would be a great story um, I'm, I would like to see Porto make a run uh, mostly because I, I, I love the play of Jackson Martinez he's been doing great uh, he played in Mexico until this year when he got the transfer finally to Europe, and uh, he's, I think he's a great striker, and he's been he's been playing really well in uh, in Europe and and uh, domestically for the league in the league for Porto. Uh, yeah, I think United are pretenders this year. Um, could I see them making a run? Yeah, of course, but I think they're a couple of pieces short this year, and um, you know unless they're sort of this collective, you know, inspiration to, you know, to really get it done, uh, which doesn't really seem to be on the horizon at this point. Yeah, I think they're going to, they're going to face a tough test and they, I don't think they're going to be able to make it to the final this year. All right. Well, that is almost all the time that we have. Um, I'm throwing one more final question your way. Who are you picking for our MLS Cup? 
I'm going to go with uh, Seattle and, and, DC, uh, and Houston, sorry. Oh, okay. Seattle would host in that situation. I'm going to go with Galaxy and DC. There we go. Uh, all I, right. We yeah. finally disagreed. It took us all, all show, but we... It did. Um, we had a very polite show. Um, yeah. But we'll see what things end up looking like next week. Um, you know, you can always find me at Rock and Josie on Twitter. And Alicia can always be found at Soccer Musings. Um,